0: Good morning, if you would grab a Bible, let's turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark 7, we'll be spending all of our time in this part of the Bible, and you do well to have a, a Bible open to that place, so you can follow along. Mark chapter 7. It's really good to see you this morning, we have a very good crowd, as has been mentioned. I want to say a few things before I begin. First of all, I want to welcome those who are visiting with us, we're really glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us, and we'd love to get to know you and talk with you some, so please let us do that, stick around for a few minutes after the service. And if there's something that we can do for you, some way we can help you to know more about the Bible or what we do, there's any way that we can be of service to you, please let us know about that. I was thinking this morning, um, it was five years ago this weekend that uh, we met each other for the first time. And uh, we came here in late August, and uh, it was like a weekend meeting. And uh, this group invited us to move here. And uh, boy, as I thought about that, a lot has changed in five years. Uh, you guys did not tell me that we were all going to be wearing masks five years hence. Uh, that, that was a bit of a change. Um, actually, I don't think that was y- y'all's call. But uh, it has been such a blessing uh, to be here and to be a part of this group. And uh, we love it here dearly. We love you dearly. And uh, it's just nice, uh, as Drew was talking about remembering, it's always nice to, uh, to look back and say, wow, things have changed a lot, and most of it for the better. And yet I still have confidence that our best days are ahead of us. And so looking forward to, uh, to more time for us to work together. Now, the other thing I wanted to say, I had three things before I got started. This is the third one. Uh, I could not help but notice this morning little voices in our assembly. And I want to say something about little voices. I don't often talk about this. Uh, it is a huge blessing and a wonderful thing that we have young children in this church. And uh, I have been in places where there were no young children, and it is a bit of a discouragement. I've been in places where people complained about the young children, and especially when you have young children, that is a tremendous discouragement, and I want to say to our parents of young children how much it is an encouragement to all of us, the hard work you're doing. This is not easy, and it is not easy to bring your kids and to wrestle them a little bit and try to keep them occupied, and uh, so I want you to know that I'm okay if there are little voices in this group. That's why I have a microphone. And I can talk louder, although sometimes there are some little ones that can get louder than me, but uh, I am thankful for you and the work that you're doing, and I want you to know that you are you are investing, and you are sowing a crop that will be reaped later and be a blessing to these young ones, to, to have them here learning about the difference between regular life and the time we devote and fixate on God, and the time that we say this is worship, it's separate, it's serious, it's different, and that that investment pays off, and so Uh, You're a blessing to me, and I want to thank you for the work that you're doing. All right, Mark chapter 7 and verse 5. Mark 7 and verse 5, it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? The Pharisees are always looking for something to criticize about Jesus, and here they criticize his disciples, and by extension him, for not observing the tradition of the elders about hand-washing. Jesus and his disciples broke the taboos of Jewish society. And they did that with some regularity. There were some norms of what centuries of Jewish rabbis had taught. This is how you observe the law of Moses. And Jesus and his followers were non-traditional. They did not do what traditional Jews did. And that raises the question of how Jesus wants us to view traditions We are now several centuries downwind of Jesus and his followers. And a number of traditions have developed among Christians. And the question is, what does Jesus want us to think about those things? I want to remind you that there is a tremendous power in tradition. If you're curious about that, if you're unsure about that, let me just remind you of where we are as a nation in this moment. In this moment... About half of our country is deeply upset by a president who talks and acts in a way that is not traditionally presidential. And the other half of the country is deeply upset by disrespect of the traditional way of viewing the flag or viewing statues that represent our traditional view of American history. And those issues have some heat behind them, don't they? You see it all around you. On both sides, how do we view tradition? So even in an individualistic nation like America, how we view tradition makes waves. So how does Jesus want us to view tradition? Jesus steps into the traditional debates of his time and he calls them out. And he says, no, we're not going to follow this just because it's a tradition. And so what I want to do is take on that challenge as well. And I want us to just think about how Jesus wants us to view our traditions, particularly we're talking not about political traditions or even national traditions, but religious traditions. The things that we as disciples of Jesus should or should not do both in our individual lives and as a group. So the way we're going to do this this morning is we're going to work through this text for a few minutes and then draw some general truths about how Jesus views traditions and the perspective we should have. So let's start in verse one, Mark 7 and verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So here, the scribes and Pharisees have come down to Galilee to kind of investigate Jesus. They do that a lot. And before they eat, they notice that they do not wash their hands. And the phrase here in verse 2 is that they ate with defiled or common hands. Now, it's probably hard for us to remember this because of our virus situation right now, but this is not about hygiene. This is not about getting your hands clean. This is instead about ritual defilement. You see, the Old Testament has some very specific rules. The law of Moses has some very specific rules about when you are defiled and when you are not. Some things are clean and some things are unclean. And there are some things that you should just always avoid, things like sexual immorality, ...or things like eating unclean animals. But then there are some things... ...that you might accidentally have contact with... ...that would make you unclean. So if you had contact with some kind of blood... ...or with a dead body... ...or with something that would defile you... ...you would have to wash... ...and you'd have to stay outside the camp... ...for a certain number of days... ...and there are things that then you have to offer... ...the proper sacrifices. So the Pharisees are concerned... ...that in the course of life... ...they're going to pick up some defilement... ...it's going to be on their hands... And when they eat, that defilement is then going to pass into their body. And so they say, before you eat, you need to wash your hands to make sure you don't become defiled. Mark explains this, verse 3. He says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So he says, This is something that comes, verse 3, from the tradition of the elders. That is the record of the rabbis who through the centuries kind of comment on what the law of Moses means and how it should be applied. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But what the result of that teaching is, is that the Pharisees, whenever they go out, like verse 4 says, when they come from the marketplace, they've been out among people. They just assume that somehow or another they've touched something or had contact with something that's going to make them defiled. So... They do this with all their different uh, things that they cook with, uh, places where they're going to sit. Everything about eating has this ritual defilement possibility. So let's just wash everything, and then we'll be better. But Jesus and his disciples don't wash their hands. So verse 5, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Notice the assumption there that their hands are defiled. I mean, how would they know? And yet that is the the way this is. The assumption is made, that somewhere in the course of this you have become defiled and now you don't even care that you're going to eat this and the defilement will spread through your whole body. Verse 6, and he said to them, this is Jesus' response, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So he takes them back to this prophecy from Isaiah. And he says, Isaiah was talking about you, hypocrites. Sorry, I'm not trying to point at you. At you, hypocrites. He is saying, you guys are fulfilling what he had prophesied long ago. You're honoring me with your words but not with your heart. And the main manifestation of that difference, where you say the right things, but your heart isn't in it, is that you teach as commandments the doctrines of men. And then he applies that in verse 8. He says you hold to the tradition of men. You leave the commandment of God to hold that tradition. So you want to criticize me about handwashing? You're ignoring God. Handwashing's a tradition. Look at what you're doing. Then he applies it further in verse 9. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. The fine, by the way, is is sarcastic. Uh, You have a fine way of doing this. For verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me as Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition. That you have handed down, and many such things you do. So, this is gonna take a little working through so we can explain and understand it. Jesus is saying, You reject God's commandments in favor of your tradition. So, here's the example verse 10 God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and don't revile them. But you say, verse 11, that you is emphatic. You say something different than what God said. You have this tradition. Verse 11 talks about it. If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban that is given to God. So they had devised this practice called korban, something that's dedicated or devoted for a certain purpose. And it's sort of set aside and reserved for that purpose. And so they would take something. It's not really clear how this exactly worked. But they would take something and say, this money is devoted to God. And then when their parents needed something, some care, some expense, They would say, sorry, mom and dad, I can't help you. Everything I have is already given to God. I've devoted it to God. So they have preserved their tradition on the one side and ignored God's command to take care of their parents on the other side. And so he says, verse 12, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. So he says, your tradition makes void God's word, And then he says at the end of verse 13, many such things you do. He said, I could go on and on, but I think this one example suffices. All right, so we could say more about Jesus and the answer to this hand-washing question. He talks a lot about clean and unclean in the verses that follow. But I want to focus on the tradition issue here. What can we learn? The first thing I want you to see from what Jesus says here is that traditions are not right or wrong in themselves. Notice that Jesus doesn't attack traditions because they're just bad. You should never follow a tradition ever. Instead, he has more subtle critiques of traditions. Now, there are traditions that could be just flat wrong. Of course, that's true. But that's not the usual issue. So in this instance, the tradition of hand washing stemmed from a real desire to be pure before God. That's good. The issue is not, well, we should never wash their hands. Washing hands is bad. That's not what Jesus says. He never addresses that for what it actually is. And that's the reason he says, this people honors me with their lips. You know, they're saying the right things. They have their hearts in a different place, but they're saying the right things. The tradition itself is not the issue. So you ask the question, what did Jesus do about tradition? And it's kind of a mixed bag. Jesus keeps some of the Jewish traditions that were prominent during his time. He pays the temple tax. He observes the festival of what we would call Hanukkah today. In John 10, the Feast of Dedication. And you look at those things and you say, well, those aren't law matters. They're traditional matters. And Jesus, he keeps the tradition. He's fine with it. But then there are other traditions that he criticizes. So, for example, he refuses to keep distance from sinners, which was a traditional idea among the Jewish people. He does not, neither do his disciples fast regularly like John's do and like the Pharisees' disciples do. He doesn't interpret the Sabbath the way the Pharisees do according to their traditions. He criticizes. Think about this. He criticizes the use of phylacteries and the broad fringes, large fringes, and the traditional use of the term rabbi. He criticizes that in Matthew 23. He criticizes the tradition of swearing. He criticizes the decorating of the tombs of the righteous. But he does not say those things are wrong because they're traditions. That's not the problem. He has a more specific critique for each one. Maybe it's that they're not always the best thing to do. Like fasting it wasn't the right time to fast. Or maybe it's that in your Sabbath applications you're overlooking people and you don't care about people and the impact of what you're saying on people. Or it may be that these things are a cloak for evil behavior like the phylacteries and the fringes where people are impressed with you and so you hide behind a tradition. Or it may be that these things are just poorly applied and you're messing it up. But whatever it is, Jesus does not say, I don't keep these things because they're traditions. So traditions are not right or wrong in themselves. That's important in two directions. Let me share them with you. As we look at Christian traditions, it is okay if we don't feel a sense of loyalty to Christian tradition. Jesus teaches us that all traditions are subject to criticism and evaluation, like hand washing, like Corban, like those that I've just mentioned. But it is okay to reject a tradition, either because it takes us away from God's original intent or because it has become something that it was not intended to be originally. It's okay to not be traditional. But it also takes us in the other direction, too, which is to say Jesus teaches us that there's no value in being non-traditional just for its own sake. There can be good in traditions. And we need to learn that because we come from a heritage early in the restoration movement where there was a desire to trash everything that was in the past and say, no, let's just focus on the Bible and have unity on the basis of the Bible. And that ignores the fact that we stand on the shoulders of a great number of generations of Christians. People who did things like translating our Bibles... Or who thought and prayed and debated and discussed and lived the word of God. People who wrote our hymns that we sing every Sunday. And we benefit from the work and the faith that they had. And it seems foolish to simply dismiss their studied thoughts out of hand. Just because they're traditional. In almost every case, at least in my experience, they have thought about it a lot more than we have. So there's no value in just saying, no, it's a tradition, let's throw it out. There's also no value in saying, hey, it's a tradition, let's just keep it. See, traditions are not right and wrong in themselves. We have to search a little deeper to figure out how we're going to handle them. The second thing Jesus says about tradition is that traditions can rival God's word. This is the key complaint Jesus has. Look again at this text in Mark 7 and verse 7. Mark 7 and verse 7 This is Isaiah's prophecy. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Then in verse 9, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And then in verse 13, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Do you hear in each one of those how he is saying, The problem is not that you have a tradition. It's that your tradition has become more important than God's actual word. So you're keeping the word. You're ignoring the word of God and keeping your tradition. It has become a rival to what God says. God didn't say it. You said it. But you like what you said more than you like what God said. So they are coming to Jesus and criticizing them and saying, why don't you keep the tradition as if he's breaking God's will? They are defending their tradition. They are criticizing others for breaking their tradition. What has happened here is that the Pharisees have lost something that we desperately need to preserve. And that is an awareness, a discernment of the difference between what God says and what we say about what God says. That what you and I think and believe and discuss is not the same as the word of God. Those things are different and we can never ever lose sight of it. God's word is up here. Our words, our traditions, our beliefs, our statements about it are down here. And we must preserve the distinction. If you were to ask a Pharisee about the Sabbath, I am almost certain, now this is a little bit of speculation on my part, I'll own that. But I am almost certain, if you were to ask a a Pharisee about the Sabbath, They would not start by saying, well, God said, honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God said, do no work on the Sabbath. They would begin by saying, well, let me explain to you what the Sabbath means in terms of how far you can walk and how much you can lift and what it means to work. They would begin. They would hinge their beliefs and their teaching on their traditions. But what did God say? Sweeping aside everything that men have said about what God said, what did God actually say? Can we go back to what God wants? Now, you know where those traditions came from, right? Those traditions that they're talking about here, the traditions of the elders, the traditions about the Sabbath, they came from centuries of debate about what the Sabbath means and what it doesn't mean, and differing schools of thought, and this rabbi versus this rabbi, and all his disciples versus all his disciples, and so on and so forth. Do you know we have the same kinds of traditions? You and I. They are the fruit of centuries of debates with denominations, with Calvinists, with Pentecostals, with atheists. We have traditional understandings that develop out of those debates. Traditional understandings about the Holy Spirit, about grace, about once saved, always saved. And they affect the way we read God's word. Sometimes we read Romans as if we're trying to prove that Paul wasn't a Calvinist. You know, Calvin lived a long time after Paul. Paul couldn't have been a Calvinist. And yet, sometimes that's, that seems to be the way we read, as if we can't read Paul for what he's actually saying. We have to read him for what he's not saying. Sometimes we read Holy Spirit passages as if we are constantly arguing with a Pentecostal who's trying to take it in the wrong way. Jesus is warning us, too, that we can lose touch with what God is actually saying because we are forming and following our own traditions. And we must always be able to distinguish between the things we have inherited and the things God is actually saying. Jesus has this binary view of words. You remember when the um, Sadducees approached Jesus, the, the leaders of the temple, after Jesus cleanses the temple. And they, they ask him, uh, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus says, well, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. The, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And so they get in a little huddle, and they say, well, we can't say this, because then they'll say, then eh, we can't say this. Uh, we don't know. I love Jesus' question. Was John's baptism from heaven or from men? It's one or the other. It's a binary view. That thoughts, words, teachings, they come from one of two places. They're either God or they're man. And Jesus says we always must preserve that distinction. Is John endorsed by God, or is John just talking on his own behalf? Which one is it? It's one or the other. Can't be both. And in the same way, we have to ask that question about our beliefs and our teachings. Jesus says here, you're teaching your traditions as commandments of men, the tradition of men, the traditions that you have handed down. Those are the words he uses. So we need to be able to distinguish between those two things. And Jesus sees that distinguishing as a loyalty issue. Did you notice that? Look down in verse 6. This passage he quotes. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, when we start teaching this way and losing that distinction, he says, your heart is far away from me. You don't care about me. You care about doing what you want, the way you like it the way you think is best, we have taken over as God's mouthpiece. We downplay what God says so we can say what we want and we can advance our own agenda. Traditions can rival God's word and God says that's a problem for me and it's a problem for us as we try to serve him. Now, a large part of this is about emphasis. So Jesus says things like this, Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. There is nothing wrong with tithing. There's nothing wrong with tithing the very specific, very small parts of their crop. The issue here is about emphasis. It's okay to take tithing very seriously like the Pharisees did. In fact, Jesus says that these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So you should have done the tithing. That's fine until you start neglecting the actually important parts of what God has said. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. It's an emphasis problem. And this is the same issue because our emphasis demonstrates the fact that we are calling the shots and not God. That you know what I really care about is making sure the tithing is just right. I'm not really as interested in justice and mercy and faithfulness. God may be, uh, but that's not really where I'm going. Can I give you an example of that? When Jesus talks about his coming, his kingdom, he uses a word to describe it. It is the word good news, gospel. Good news. Can I ask you, would other people be able to characterize our message as good news? Or are we so critical and so harsh and so accusing that we neglect to hold out the hope that Jesus brings, the excitement, the good, the positive? See, that's not a problem simply of some kind of teaching. That's an emphasis problem where our tradition and the way we traditionally present the gospel begins to rival the Word of God. Third thing Jesus says here is that traditions can be a basis for judging. See, what really seems to irritate Jesus in this story is that the Pharisees confront him and condemn his disciples over something God didn't even say. How is that fair? God didn't say this. Why are you so upset about it? Look in verse 5. Mark 7 and verse 5. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? That tone of challenge is what the Pharisees always come to Jesus with. Why are you doing this wrong, Jesus why are you so wrong about this? They are condemning him. They do the same thing with the Sabbath. This is Mark two twenty four. Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Why don't you fast? Why, don't you, why do you eat with tax collectors? Why can't you just be good and do things the right way? How can you be so non-traditional? And in every case, Jesus pushes back against their condemnation. I am not wrong and neither are my disciples. You're the ones who are wrong. Jesus is showing us we're not wrong for not keeping tradition. It's just tradition. That's all it is. And we might face the ire of some people who are overly concerned about tradition, but it is certainly not something that says that we are wrong before God. I want to say a little bit about this, about judging. It is awfully tempting for us to use tradition as a basis to judge and condemn other people. It is almost a reflex for us. If people don't see things and do things the way we do or the way we think they should, we naturally condemn and criticize them. It just kind of comes out. Sometimes that can be between churches. So let me give you a few examples here. See, you, you hear about a group, another church, that does things differently than we do. I'll start with the mild ones. Okay, so let's say instead of a collection plate like we passed this morning they put a box in the back. And that's just the way they're going to do the collection. If you if you feel like you need to, there's a box in the back for uh, people to give their, their offering. Or let's say, instead of meeting on Sunday night, they decide, you know what, we're not going to have a, another service on Sunday. We're just going to meet in small groups in people's homes. Let's say, instead of... Uh, the preacher deciding what he's going to preach from, he's going to preach from a lectionary that goes through the whole Bible. One of those lectionaries maybe that comes from a denomination. Let's say they get rid of Bible classes altogether. No more Bible classes. We didn't think they were productive. We're just not going to do that anymore. Let's say they change their name from Church of Christ to some other name. Is there a part of you, when you hear things like that, that, that is tempted to condemn other groups for doing something unconventional, non-traditional? Because, I mean, it feels a little bit like they're criticizing us because they're not doing things the way we do them. And, And there's a part of us that says, no, because we're doing it, it's kind of the best way to do it, the right way to do it. It's the traditional way. But all of those things I just mentioned are traditions. And is it our job to judge other churches anyway? Who gave us that job? Sometimes, though, it's not about churches. Sometimes it's about judging our brothers and sisters. About things that are traditional, not biblical. For example, I do believe, and I want to say this clearly, I do believe that we should do our best to attend our gospel meetings whenever we have them. But I want to say that gospel meetings are a traditional way of us trying to reach the lost. That's what they are. So we could have them or not. We could come to them or not. But they're not a violation of scripture. And so we shouldn't judge one another about them. We can't make a tradition and then judge people on the basis of the tradition. That's what Jesus is condemning. Or maybe there are some traditional stances that people violate. Like, for example, the tradition that gambling is wrong. The tradition that all forms of dancing are sinful. Those are traditional beliefs ...that don't actually come from the Bible. But we can still hold them just as dearly as if they did. And when others don't hold our position on that... ...or we see something or hear something about them... ...the temptation is to judge and condemn. And we have to pull back and ask the question... ...am I judging based on what I believe... ...or what we've traditionally done... ...or what God actually said? We have to be able to discern between those two things... Now, there's a lot more to say about all those issues. I know I opened up several cans of worms there. But I'll just say this. We can talk about those things at another time. We can't judge based on traditions. It won't work. We're judging based on man's word rather than God's. The fourth thing I want to say from this text is that traditions can become blind spots. When Jesus talks to them about Corban, it's pretty clear that they haven't thought about it that something that appeared to be good could then become something bad. They haven't thought about it. I strongly suspect they did not intend for Corban to make void the word of God. That was not their goal. But in their practice, they became blind. I want to put on the board here the parallel passage to Mark 7. It's in Matthew 15. And I want you to notice some of the fallout after Jesus teaches some of this. It says, he called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So he's talking about the clean and unclean thing as he goes a little farther. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pent. So the Pharisees are offended. Why? Why? Because Jesus has just criticized their tradition. Their tradition about hand washing, clean and unclean. And and he has said something that they say, oh, there's no way that could be true. I mean, after all, why would we wash our hands if that were true? But that's what happens when our traditions are called out. Our traditions can become so near and dear to us that we cannot even handle their criticism or challenge we immediately fire back, we lash out, we are offended. And Jesus says, there are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. They're not even seeing clearly. So they end up in a different place than God. See, the Pharisees have a zeal, but it is a zeal that is a zeal for their traditions. In fact, Paul even says that. I was very zealous for the traditions of my fathers back before I became a Christian. And their traditions, the the ironic thing is their traditions are about God's law. And yet they end up loving and, and defending their traditions more than God's law. They become blind to where they are. So they end up sulking while God is celebrating that sinners are coming home. They end up ridiculing what Jesus teaches on money because their tradition is that money is always good. Money is a blessing. They challenge Jesus and his disciples about fasting, Because they like to measure their faithfulness to God by how many times a week somebody fasts. On and on they go. Now, this one's hard. Because when I start to think about, okay, well, what can I say to apply this to us? Well, that's a problem, isn't it? What are our blind spots? If you knew, you wouldn't be blind, right? That's the problem. But I will say this. I'll give you a few directions where I suspect many of our blind spots may lie. We need to be able to discern the difference between our traditional interpretations of Scripture and Scripture itself. And it may be that in those areas we become blind and we read our thoughts into the text instead of letting the text structure our thoughts. I will say, much of our teaching has been focused on answering denominations and winning debates rather than simply hearing what God has to say to us. And it may be that that makes us blind to what God is actually trying to teach us. I will will say this, that often our teaching to our young people is about telling them what they should not do. And it is very rarely to call on them to do the good things that God calls on them to do. What are our blind spots? Is a question that challenges me and worries me. But traditions traditionally are our blind spots. That's one of the ways we work. So I'd like to close this morning by, by leaving you with four questions. And I just want you to take these home. I don't expect you to be able to answer them just right off the top of your head but I want you to think very carefully about these four questions because I think they will help us to discern how some of Jesus' words might be meaningful to you and me. First, what traditions are important to me and why? We all have some things that we are loyal to and that needs examining. Maybe it's a family loyalty, a loyalty that says my family has always believed this or always done this, or if I said or believed this, then it would mean something about my, my mom or my grandma or someone who believed this long ago. Maybe it's something personal. Or maybe it's just that sense that, that we all sometimes have that something is just completely inappropriate or irreverent. And I am saying, please hear me, instead of jumping on other people who violate those senses of tradition, I encourage you to look within why is this so important to me? What is happening in my heart? And is this something that actually comes from God? Jesus warns us, this is a heart problem. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so I need to ask the question, what's going on in my heart about the things that I care so much about and I'm so willing to defend and even criticize others about? Second question is related to that. Do I ever condemn others or assume the worst about them? Because they don't follow my traditions. I'm not sure any of us could honestly answer this question. No. There are times where we have to judge. We have to make decisions. And sometimes we even have to have some kind of discernment about whether someone is actually following the Lord. But it should never be on the basis of man's traditions. Those are just our thoughts that we are using to condemn someone else or assume the worst about someone else. I will say that as we work through some of this, there will be some growing pains. Because things that we have held that have felt wrong, as we educate ourselves, we may have to feel a little different and work through some of those feelings and resist the urge to say something that we know intellectually is not accurate, but in our hearts we still feel because we feel the violation of something that has been dear to us in the past. But I hope we see that for what it actually is. I want us to see that that condemnation and that assumption of negativity is not what Jesus wants from us. That's not how Jesus teaches his disciples to view others, and it's how Jesus resists when others view him and his disciples that way, to condemn them or assume the worst. Over traditions, Am I open to others pointing out my blind spots? One of the major issues in these kinds of discussions is that we think it's all offense. You know, my job is to correct all of you. I need to get into your heads. I need to fix you. And so we do that to our world and we say, you know what, everybody's got blind spots. You need to reconsider things. You need to think seriously about your life and what you've been taught And if that's actually accurately following God's word. But can we take criticism? Can we hear when others are trying to correct us? It seems to me that Jesus said something about specks and beams here. And the willingness we have to receive criticism and to even inspect ourselves. So are we open? And the last question is this. What are God's priorities about the matter? You know, there has to be a time. There has to be a time when we silence all the other opinions, the past, our family, current events, social media, and just ask the simple question, what does God actually think about this? Not what have people told me God thinks, but can I hear from God himself? And for us to go read God's word and recalibrate And say, if this matters to God, it must matter to me. Whether that's natural or unnatural, I need to know what God really thinks. And then I can make my decisions from there about how I live and how I treat others based on God's priorities. And then I can tell other people, here is why I feel the way I do. It's not because of the group I belong to or the family I came from or the nation I live in. It's because this is what God says. And I can point to book, chapter, and verse about it. What are God's priorities about the matter? I hope that you'll take some time with those. Think very seriously. It's a a challenging discussion, and I appreciate your attention. I think it is natural that we will have traditions and that we will battle traditions. But if we lose this battle, we're going to end up serving men rather than God. We're going to end up with our lips saying the right things and our hearts being far from God. Most of all, we will be on the wrong side of Jesus. But if we can properly balance tradition, then we can benefit from the people who have lived before us without inheriting their errors. And we can develop skills of discernment and we can draw closer to God and we can become well-rounded, well-informed disciples of Jesus. That's our goal. So I pray that you'll take these things to heart. Think about them. If you'd like to discuss them more with me, I'm always available. I'd love to do that. But I pray that this won't be the end of this discussion for you but the beginning. It might be that there's someone here who needs to make something known to this congregation. It is our tradition that at this time of our service, we offer the invitation where we sing a song to encourage those who need to respond in some way to God to come and make a public statement about that. If you have some need where you say, I need the prayers of this group and you'd like to let us know about that, this time is for you. Of course, at any time, we would love for you to let us know about something we can help with Or pray with you about. But this is a time in a public way where we offer that to you. Or if there is someone who is ready to become a disciple of Jesus. Turning away from their sins. Baptized into Christ. We'd love to help you do that. And we just ask that you come to the front right now. As we stand and sing to encourage you.